0: of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at Today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life or dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart, so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped.
1: Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we ask that, that as we open it, as we reflect on, on what it says, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us soft hearts to receive, that you would strengthen our wills to, um, to do what you call of us. We ask that, um, that you'd bless this time, that you'd be glorified, that we'd be strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my name is Paul. I am part of the team here, and I'm happy to welcome you this morning as we continue... Uh, in our series in the book of Exodus. Last week, uh, Jake wrapped up uh, the second part of the story of Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. And this is where God revealed himself um, to Moses in, in a spectacular way. He revealed his plan for Moses. He showed Moses proof of his power and provision for Moses to accomplish what God had called him to. This week, as we come to our text, it it serves as a transition from the calling of Moses to the ministry of Moses. And in it, we're going to see a picture of of what it means to begin to follow God, what it means to take those first steps as God calls us uh, to follow Him. We're going to look at three things this morning, faith, obedience, and fulfillment, our faith, our obedience, and the fulfillment of God's promises. So let's look at our first point, faith. Look with me at verse 18. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So, our text, it begins with with Moses returning uh, from his encounter with God to his home country of Midian, and he's doing this to return the flocks to his father-in-law and as well to ask permission that he could go back to Egypt with his family. Now, at this point in the story, Moses is 80 years old, and it might strike us as a little bit odd that a man in his 80s would need to ask his dad permission to go. Hey, Dad, can I go for a road trip? It's a little bit odd. But this was normal in that culture. What Moses was doing was was an acceptable practice that in light of his status as a son-in-law and as a shepherd of Jethro's flock, it was a a sign of respect for his father-in-law. But but what we want to see here is the way in which Moses interacts with, with his dad. Look at the exchange that happens. Moses says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And what we know from our previous weeks is that Moses knows first that his brother Aaron is alive. And in fact, is on his way to meet him. And second, that God had told him that his people, the Hebrew nation, were in Egypt and would be delivered by God. So why does Moses mention his family's well-being? Why does he do this? And then further to this, we also know that Moses had just had this miraculous experience with God. There's this wonderful encounter. He saw signs and wonders. He saw God's presence. He saw a burning bush that wasn't consumed. And yet he seems to remain silent on these details with his father-in-law. Why might Moses be acting in this way? And I think uh, Philip Ripken shed some light on this for us. He says, why didn't Moses tell the whole truth? Perhaps he was afraid that if he went into too much detail, his father-in-law would start raising questions about his trip. More likely, Moses still wasn't entirely sure of himself whether everything God said was true. Like many people, he was wavering somewhere between faith and unbelief. And I think Riken lands on the key to this in those last few words what's the problem here? I think think Moses was wavering somewhere between faith and unbelief. And we see this in the story leading up up, up to this point, right? We know that, that Moses was wrestling with his identity. Was he a Hebrew? Was he an Egyptian? Was he a Midianite? We know that Moses was fearful of his past, Right, his killing of the Egyptian, you know, that led him to flee Egypt and settle in Midian. We know that he struggled with his calling, even though God had appeared to him in this inexplicable way. Even though God invited him near, calling him by his name. Even though God revealed his power to him through miraculous signs, he still wrestles with his calling. Despite the undeniable presence of God, the undeniable power of God, the undeniable calling of God, Moses is wavering somewhere between faith and unbelief. Now, as Moses prepares to leave, God speaks again. Look at verse 19. It says, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. See, it would appear that Moses has something more on his mind than the actual welfare of his people. Right, he's wondering, if I go back to Egypt, what's waiting for me? If I go back, what am I to expect? And specifically, if I go back, what of my enemies What will it mean for me? It's understandable that this would be on his mind. And so God, knowing what is weighing on Moses' heart and mind, he reassures him. He reassures him by demonstrating that he knows what concerns him. By demonstrating that he knows what is going on back in Egypt. And by reassuring him, Your your enemies, they're no longer a threat to you. And I think this should encourage us. Right? Notice God's grace to Moses. He meets him where he is at and in the way that he needs most. See, God doesn't come with these, these unrealistic expectations of Moses that at this point in the story, he would have it all together that Moses would be going, no problem, I'm going back to Egypt, I'll face Pharaoh, my enemies are there, it's all okay. Those are not the expectations that, that God has of Moses. God knows his fears, he knows his insecurities, he knows his doubts, and he reassures him. See, I think sometimes we can struggle... Because we, we project on God expectations of us that just aren't true. Right? We project on God these ideas that we have to be a certain somebody, have a certain level of faith, have a certain degree of obedience and maturity, and then he would call me, then he would use me. But there's this beautiful picture where Moses isn't perfect. He really isn't strong. And yet God still calls him. And yet God still encourages. He doesn't reprimand him. Why are you worried about that? He says, it's okay. Moses, it's okay. I got you. What a word for him. And what a word for us. What are the fears that immobilize us? What are the the things we wonder about? What are the insecurities that we carry? God knows. God is well ahead of us. And God invites us to trust in him, to rest in him, to be okay with him. See, here we see that God doesn't call Moses because he has perfect faith but rather to show his perfect power in one who is wavering between faith and unbelief. Now, despite his fears and insecurities, we see that Moses follows God. And he does so one step at a time, probably a little wobbly, you know, like like an infant that's learning to walk. He takes one step at a time, arms outstretched, Daddy, catch me if I fall. And, and and that's okay that's kind of the point that's okay come as you are but just just come just follow just take one step at a time and this brings us to our second point obedience look with me at verse 20 so moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So with the blessing of Jethro, the reassurance of God, Moses takes that step. He begins to walk, to make his way back to Egypt. As they go, God again speaks to him. He reminds him of what is to come. He he tells Moses, remember the next step, go to Pharaoh, go back to Egypt and go to Pharaoh. He's reminding him of of what he needs to do. And he's also telling him what is going to happen. He's saying, Moses, don't be surprised when Pharaoh hardens his heart. Don't be surprised if things don't go exactly as you think they should go. Because for a time, Pharaoh's not going to let my people go. It's a reminder that his obedience does not necessarily guarantee the success that he has in mind. But he goes. God calls him to go. Now, as we look at this text, as he goes, as he walks in obedience, as he hears of what is to come, we see this, this phrase that raises some questions. It says that God will harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is a question, you know, in this part of of Scripture that has um, caused many debates. What does it mean that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? It's a theme that we're going to actually see developing over the next few chapters of the story. And we don't have time to to go into the fullness of what this means. For now, we're just going to briefly touch on on the subject and just get a sense of the, the broad brushstrokes of what does this mean when it says that God will harden his heart? Dr. Legan Duncan, I, I think, provides some helpful insight on this for us. He says, in the story of Moses and Pharaoh, the idea of hardening hearts will be used in three different ways. It will be said that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It will be said that Pharaoh hardens Pharaoh's heart. And it will be said that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. One I would suggest is describing God's sovereignty. One I would suggest describing man's responsibility. One I would suggest describing the fact of the matter, what indeed happened in the heart and in the life of Pharaoh. So, what do we see? We see three three things happening here that God is sovereign. When when he says I will harden his heart, it's a it's a statement that says that God is sovereign over Pharaoh. He's sovereign over the story. He's sovereign over the the people. That he is sovereign and in control. Even as Pharaoh stands against him, even as Pharaoh rebels against him, even as Pharaoh disobeys him, God is sovereign over that. We also see that Pharaoh is responsible. That he is responsible for what he does. He is responsible for his sinful actions against God's people. He is responsible for rebelling against God and disobeying him. And then what we see in this this part here is that because he is responsible for his actions, God will judge Pharaoh. He will judge him. And it reminds us that there is a cost for disobedience, right? There's, There's consequences for rebellion against God. You cannot continue to persist in disobedience and not expect that God will respond to bring correction or to bring judgment. And in our text, when it talks about um, God killing the firstborn, it is this, this picture of judgment that God will bring upon Pharaoh for how he has treated his firstborn son, the people of Israel. And there's something here that we have to say, because I think sometimes we can look at this and go like, man, this is, this is hard, this is harsh, don't know how I feel about God's judgment. But there's something in this story that, that I think points to the character and justice of God, and that is this, that God holds Pharaoh to the exact same standard that he holds to his own people. And we see this play out as as the story continues. Look at verse 24 with me. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then said that a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision, now, the story takes a bizarre turn here. Like, it's weird, right? It's not just me, right? Yeah, It's weird. What is going on? right? As Moses makes his, his way back to Egypt with his family, they stop at the Motel 6, and something odd happens to Moses, right? It says the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And and we're not given any kind of clear indication of of what is exactly happening to him. But it appears that in some way, Moses is being afflicted by the Lord, and it's threatening his life. And and the question is, what happened? Why this sudden turn of events? You know, why is, is Yahweh, God, one moment saying, Moses, it's okay, your enemies are dead. And and calling him, but now God himself is threatening his life. Why is God suddenly opposing the one he's called? Well, to answer the question, we need to go back to Genesis 17. Starting in verse 9, it says, And God said to Abraham, "'As for you, you shall keep my covenant.'" From any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is born with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, as a sign of the covenant with Abraham, And his descendants, God's people, God commanded that every male child be circumcised when they're eight days old. And this command would apply to to Abraham's family, relatives, and even the servants that they had in their houses. And and it was a sign that said, you belong to God, that you belong to his people. And if we look at verse 14, it gives us a clue as to, to why this really mattered. It says, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So any who neglected God's command and broke his covenant would be cut off from his people and excluded from God's covenant promises, right? And so somehow, for some reason, Moses had failed to do what God had commanded, and as we see, the stakes are high. Roberts and Wilson, uh, they, they help us with this. They explain, Moses has neglected God's commandment and now stands outside the mark of sonship under the same judgment as Pharaoh. And then Philip Reichen unpacks the implications further for us. If he, Moses, was going to lead the people out of Egypt... He himself had to keep the covenant. How could he be Israel's prophet if he neglected his spiritual responsibility to his own people by failing to include them in God's salvation? So because of his disobedience, Moses came under God's discipline. And before Moses could proceed as God's prophet, the matter needed to be settled. See, Moses could not confront Pharaoh or lead God's people if he stood outside of God's covenant. He could not lead them if he continued in willful willful disobedience. And in this we see that belonging to God and obeying God are deeply entwined. You can't belong to God and walk in disobedience. To belong to him is a call to obey him. He's God. He's to be worshipped. He's to be served. Not unlike Pharaoh, who would have the people of Egypt serve him, Yahweh reveals himself as greater than Pharaoh and one whom we are to serve and obey. So we see that this, this mark of circumcision is not just a, a, a something that, that makes things right, but it's an act of obedience true faith, through believing God, that actually settles the matter for them. Look with me at verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone, and it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. Now the first thing that should catch our attention is this. That yet again, God provides deliverance for Moses, and he does it through the actions of a woman, this time his his wife, Zipporah. And that that somehow Zipporah understands what is going on. We don't know how or why, but she understands what is going on. So she circumcises her son, and then she touches Moses' feet with the foreskin, marking blood on them. And for, for some reason, this action causes God to relent. And here's the, the significance of this cannot be lost on us. And here's one commentator helps us with this. See, Moses' own wife, Zipporah, is now God's chosen instrument to spare Moses, not from Pharaoh, but from him, from God. Thus, Zipporah becomes an intercessor for the one whom God has appointed to be the intercessor of Israel. And then he continues and he says, he, Yahweh, is sending this sinful man into Egypt who himself needed forgiveness. And his wife provided for him mediation by carrying out the obedience that he should have done himself. Do you see this picture that we have? Moses is suffering the consequences of his disobedience and he's unable to do anything about it. Notice that he's just passive in this picture. He's unable to do anything about it. But God provides deliverance for him through the obedience of his wife. Through her act of faith, symbolized through the application of blood to Moses' feet, satisfying God's covenant, Moses' sin is atoned for. And the consequences of sin are lifted. And, and this pictures a, a much greater reality of God's saving work. It foreshadows the full saving work that God would do through Jesus. That God would send His Son, Jesus, to stand in our place. Why? To carry out the obedience that we never could. And pay for the disobedience that we could never pay through the shedding of His blood. His blood applied to us for our sin. Romans 5.19 says, by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, the many will be made righteous. What the covenant could not do in Moses' day, God gives a better covenant through His Son, a better intercessor, a better mediator, who would not just offer, you know, one sacrifice for one sin, but a sacrifice that would cover the sin of many. And, and through faith in him, we would discover that, that God saves us from the consequences of our disobedience. And he rewards us for the obedience of Christ. And there's more. Not only would we receive a for obedience, but through Christ we'd be given grace by God to now live in joyful obedience. We'd be given new hearts that desire to do what pleases Him. We'd be given His Spirit that would empower us to live out faithfully according to God's Word. Like God doesn't only just save us from our disobedience, but He rewards us for Christ's obedience. And then He gives us every gift so that we could joyfully walk in obedience. And why does this matter? We see this in in the third point, fulfillment. Beginning in verse 27, it says, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and, and, and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke of all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that they'd seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Why does obedience matter? So here we have a picture of God beginning to fulfill his promises. We have a picture of God's grace being poured out on his people. God delivers on his promise to bring Aaron to Moses, one who would help him. God delivers on his promise that when Moses would stand before the elders, signs would actually happen. We see the elders believe We see the people worship. It's it's a picture of blessing. And that blessing would never come or would never be experienced to its fullness by Moses unless he believed and obeyed. See, what God is doing to fulfill his promises was not dependent on Moses. Moses. It wasn't his strong faith or his great obedience that brought God's promises to fulfillment. Simply God's faithfulness. It's a work of God. But God graciously invites Moses into it. And and it would be through his obedience that Moses would experience the benefits that come through following him. This morning, Jake read from Isaiah, and I think this captures what we're talking about here. Isaiah 48, starting in verse 17, it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. He teaches you to profit. It's it's for our good. Obedience is for our good who leads you in the way that you should go oh that you had paid attention to my commandments why then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea your offspring offspring would have been like the sand your descendants like its grain their name would have never been cut off or destroyed before them do you see the picture God, God invites us to follow Him, to obey Him, for our flourishing, for our good. He invites us in to enjoy Him and His grace. That's why obedience matters. It glorifies Him and it blesses us. And this brings us to a question. Is there something that God has called you to do? Is there a way that God is speaking to you, inviting you to follow him? Perhaps you're you're here for the first time. You're new to our gathering and new to the story of Jesus. And I just want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. And and maybe as you hear this story, God is, is working on your heart He's inviting you to trust Jesus. Would you obey today? Or maybe you've been a believer for a while, but you've not yet been baptized, right? Which is the new covenant expression of belonging to Jesus and his people. And maybe you've been putting it off, wrestling with it. Maybe um, there, there are fears or insecurities, but God is calling you to be baptized, to proclaim that you belong to Jesus and his people. Would you do that today? Would you speak to someone today? Maybe God's called you to do something hard. You've known it for a while. But you're just like, I don't know. Like Moses. (laughs) I don't know. Really? Egypt? Now? I'm 80. But would you just trust and obey? Maybe you've been struggling with a particular sin. Maybe today's the day to confess and repent. Whatever it is, if there is something that God is calling to you, would you see just how good it is to follow him, to obey him, and discover the blessing that comes from it? That's the invitation for us today. And just hope that you would enter in to all that that God would have for you, all that God would have for me, through faith and obedience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you don't call us expecting us to be at a certain place, a certain level, a certain amount of faith, a certain amount of obedience. Will you simply call us and invite us one step at a time to trust you and to obey you? Lord, would you teach us to do that today? Would you um, give us faith to trust that, that in what you call us to, you are good and that your heart is to bless your people? Would you grow us in in the, the joy of walking obediently with you? Lord, we ask that you would do this work in us for your glory, for our good. Amen.